Well, today is the final day in a seven-week sermon series that we've been doing on discipleship. And if you've been with us for that ride, I hope you have, um, then you know where we've been. If you haven't, I encourage you to go check it out on the website because we've got all the sermons there where you can listen to them now. But just kind of a quick view of where we've been. We started out many weeks ago talking about what is discipleship. And we kind of, at least the definition I worked towards was saying something that it involves us learning how to think, feel, and act like a Christian. And that same sermon, we talked about this idea, even though we know growing as a disciple is a lifelong exercise, lifelong endeavor, but we, we paused to ask the question, what does it look like to become a mature Christian? What are the attributes you would have? If you're a mature Christian, that's what we kind of talked about. And then we pivoted from there to begin to talk about particular topics, particular characteristics of what a mature disciple looks like and what they're going to be engaged in. And we started out by looking um, the second week at scripture, talking about how we encounter God in scripture and how God still speaks today through the pages of scripture as we read it and how we encounter God in that place and why that should be a part of what it means to be a disciple is to be reading scripture corporately and individually. And then this week after that, we talked about service and we looked at Jesus's example of service and his teaching on service. And we talked about how what it means to be a disciple is to engage in the pursuit of justice and acts of kindness and all the different ways that we serve. We talked about all of that. And then the week after that, we talked about spiritual practices. We could have listed many more but we talked about some of the spiritual practices you as a disciple will want to engage in or think about. The week after that, we talked about worship. As one of these disciplines we do as disciples that you will do forever. After you're in heaven, we read in Revelation about worship taking place there. We talked about how that's just going to go on forever and we engage in that. And part of what that is corporately is to re-energize us to give us a reset, get us in the right place as we head off into the week. But also a big piece of it, not only adoring God, but is, is to thanking God and how worship is an integral part of us becoming people of gratitude and what a difference that makes as we live out our lives. And then we talked about giving and its key role in us becoming people who have generous hearts, learning to give according to what we make, learning to give with first fruits, looking at the different things that we see in scripture and this key role of what it means to be a disciple, to put everything before God, including our finances and the place of, of giving and all of that. And today is the final day and we're, there are many more topics we could take on, but for this final one, we're talking about sharing life and love and light in the world. And I think Maybe it's because I'm a lifelong Episcopalian, I don't know. But to me, this is the hardest topic because we're talking about doing these things and it's a bit uncomfortable. I think it's uncomfortable, at least for me, because I've been exposed to a lot of insensitive people who've done a lot of gross things in trying to share the gospel. I can think about when I was uh, first ordained, I was in, living in London for the year, working at a church there, and I got ordained to the diaconate. And, you know, give me some slack on this, but like you spend years and years and years getting to this place. So when I finally got ordained, I was at this church that really didn't wear collars. 
unless the bishop was coming or something. So they didn't do, they were very low church that way, but I was so excited. I couldn't wait to put on my collar. So I, I was going to the hospital to do hospital rounds and I'm like, I'm going to wear my collar. So I put on my collar and I go down to the underground of the tube. And as soon as the door shut on the, on the uh, underground that day, this guy stands up in one of the corners with his bullhorn and starts preaching hell and brimstone and fire and judgment and all these kind of fear mongering kind of things. And I felt like everybody on this um, car at some point turned to me and looked at me with a collar. And I was like, no, it's a big spectrum. He's way over there and I'm way over here. You know, it's like this thing because it was like, there it is. But it was super uncomfortable because the guy had like 60 seconds and all he did was say, you know, do this incredible fear stuff with it. We've all been exposed to that kind of stuff. And I think about it too, most of us have been trained that if you're going to be um, civilized and well-heeled, you're not going to talk about, when you're in a crowd, you're not going to talk about politics or religion. Religion, you're not going to do it. So we're trained. You're not going to do this. But we as Christians, as disciples, as people who want to learn Jesus's rhythms of grace and his teaching and live in his way, We have to recognize that this is an important part of what Jesus teaches. That that really God's answer to the human condition, as God looks on the brokenness of the world, as he looks on sinfulness and the lovelessness and all the different stuff in the world, his answer is to send Jesus into this to take on flesh and to be this message and to be this person who comes and lives and dies and is resurrected and all of this as a way to go into that condition. And he calls his followers to give testimony to that. He doesn't just single out the preachers saying, oh, the preachers go do it. It's something he does for everyone, right? And I wanna um, just pause there for a minute and get you to think about that. There's all kinds of scripture that I could sit there and, and talk about and quote, but let me give you just a few examples. I think back when you look at Jesus first starting his public ministry and he's calling the very first disciples. Listen to, listen to what he says. This is from Matthew 4. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and they followed. Out of the bat, the first thing he's telling them, I'll make you fish for people. Next chapter, he says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. St. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, tells them in in chapter five, so we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. And I give just one um, one more example of this and thought about this from the very first chapter of Acts. Because you get this um, place in Acts where Jesus' followers now have seen him die. They've encountered him in the resurrected form and he's been teaching them and now he's, the ascension's about to take place. Like it's a couple verses away. They've got it all figured out. And they say to Jesus, 
we know you're the Messiah, this, is now when you're gonna make the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom in, in here? Are you, is now when this is all gonna be? And Jesus' answer back to them is like, well, first of all, I'm not gonna tell you the time. That's not for you to know. But actually, yeah, no, I'm not gonna do that. You're gonna do it. You're gonna receive the spirit from on high. You're gonna be clothed and empowered and you're gonna go do it. And think about that for a moment. They're kind of saying to Jesus, are you gonna go tell the world about your love and your mercy? And his answer is like, no, you are. Are you gonna go tell them about hope and justice? Like, no, you're gonna go do it. You're gonna be empowered by the Holy Spirit, but you're gonna be the one to go do it. And so however we look at it, part of what it means to be a disciple, a mature disciple living out our faith, is that we're called to share light and life and love. I think that's the reason why when every time we do a baptism, we get... um, the question and answer that we give during a baptismal covenant. And we say, will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? And we answer, we will. It's part of what it means to be a disciple. It's part of how we, we live it out. So I wanna, with the time left in this sermon, I wanna turn to two questions then. Kind of some thoughts about what is it we're sharing and how do we do it? And uh, begin to think about that. You know, there are lots of ways, we're gonna talk about the how in a minute. There are lots of ways we do it. But if you're just trying to share the Christian message, what is that? I was intrigued, there's a, there's a Christian publication that some of us read from time to time called The Christian Century. And a number of years ago, they did this article where they went to famous theologians and biblical um, scholars and some Christian authors, and they asked them to do this challenge. They said, Give us the Christian message in seven words. I guess I should do that, seven words. Here are some of the answers. Martin Marty from Chicago says, God, through Jesus Christ, welcomes you anyhow. This anyhow going into our condition. Donald Shriver says, divinely persistent, God really loves us. Beverly Roberts Gaventa says, in Christ, God's yes defeats our no. Mary Carr says, we are the church of infinite chances. I love her. I love her answer right now just because I'm so wound up on how the church needs to stand for second, third, fourth, fifth chances and push back against this culture of canceling people because they get something wrong. All of us have got something wrong. That's part of the Christian message. All of us get stuff wrong and we don't deserve to be canceled. And I agree with her, we're the church of infinite chances. And if somebody out there throws you out, come here because we'll meet you with love. Walter Brueggemann said, Israel's gods, this, wait, this one you gotta listen to closely because it's tight. He says, Israel's gods bodied love continues world making. And he adds to that, I only use six words, I rested on the seventh. This idea, that one is really packed in there. But I wonder, how would you answer that question? If somebody says, what's the Christian message? Or if somebody asked another version of that of saying, why does faith matter to you? What's faith to you? How did you get to where you are as a disciple or whatever else? How would you answer it? 
I know for me, I would, think, I would say something like, after my grandparents and my parents taught me to pray and read scripture, I found a God of love. I found a God who will not look away from our brokenness, but will still embrace us through his grace with love. I found a God who gives meaning and purpose, who gives light and life and love and calls us into this deeper place. I found a God who heals through his life, death and resurrection. He heals us and whatever the worst thing is that we face in life is never the last word because of what he's done. I found a God who pours his very self, his Holy Spirit into us to help us to find strength and animation and living in life. And I have found that God has made me a better person in every role that I live out. And my life has become one of seeking to glorify God in return and live with gratefulness because of what he's done. But I wonder how you would answer that. Say it's an elevator speech. You've got a few floors. How are you gonna answer that? The final part of what I'd like to do today is just then say, we've got our message. We're disciples, we're called to share. What are some thoughts about how we do this? I wonder and think about that sometimes. And I think about um, in doing that, I recently read uh, an article or saw an article that was about this from Father Mike Schmitz, who says, you know, it's this simple. All you have to do is share your stories. That's all you have to do. Share the stories that you know about Jesus and how he lived his 30 something years of life. Share the stories of how people have encountered Christ over these last 2000 years in the church and in the world. Share your story of how you have encountered Christ and why you're a Christian and how it means something to you and where you found hope and how you found hope. And really the biggest thing for us to do maybe is just to be open to God's spirit. To not just grab our bullhorn, so to speak, but to be able to say in this moment, what can I do? I'm available. You've got my yes. What can I do in this moment that will point to you and your love and will share it in the world? To go back to the covenant that we take in our baptismal vows, we talk about through word and action, by your words and your actions. And I think that's a good blueprint for us to think about because we do share by our actions. That's one of the reasons why I love being at a church where we come together on this point and we know that part of what it means to be a witness to God's love is to care about the homeless. And we have ministries here that do that. And Shanta helps organize that. And the church, we, we scoop up our resources and do that, help with the homeless. We help with people who've been abused through um, all the sexual businesses and all that through Project Moses or giving in ministries that help feed people or helping to organize and help with orphanages in South America or all the different things that we do. Part of what we're called as disciples, part of our witness to God's love is to see the brokenness of the world and not look away, but to minister in those places. That's part of the witness. That's part of how we share this is a message that matters. And we're reminded, sometimes we say this at baptism, your person's handed a candle or godparents handed a candle and we will say, let your light so shine before others. 
that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven because it points to him. That's part of what we do. And the other part, the part that makes Episcopalians start to squirm, I think, a little bit, is that we also do it with words. And it doesn't mean that we have to go do some full-blown um, message of salvation to every person we meet kind of a thing, but it means we're willing to give voice to it at times, right? Because sometimes it may just be not necessarily asking a person all this kind of stuff, are you saved and all that kind of stuff, but it may just be seeing that they're broken and hurting and saying, you know what, this morning I prayed for you and if I can do anything for you, let me know. That's it. Just words of kindness and love that point towards, our, towards the one we follow. And I think there are all kinds of ways we can do it. I think even the yard signs that we have, putting a testimony out in your front yard that says, I go to church. And the people on your street know that you're a person that engages in hope. You're in a community of hope. And they know where they can go. It's its own witness. There are lots of ways that we do that. We're reminded that St. Paul says we're to be ambassadors, that God is making his appeal through us. So I do think at some point we have to be willing to give a testimony to the hope that's within us. That's what 1 Peter talks about. He, 1 Peter says, be ready to give an account for the hope that's within you. We wanna be able to witness to the love and the mercy that we've encountered. And there's a time, I think, if we're sensitive to the spirit, there will be a time when God will tell you, say something, write a letter or do something. I wanna um, conclude this part by thinking about some different ways you do this. I'm aware that a little over a week from now, we're gonna finish up the election season, right? So I thought I would throw in some election stuff and give two illustrations from two presidents. And to be fair, I'll do one from both sides of the aisle, right? The first one is a story that, um, this appeared a number of years ago in the Washington Post, but it was a story about Ronald Reagan. In August of 1982, um, he wrote this letter and um, his diary for that day said, more of Saturday's work plus a long letter I have to write to Loyal, who's his father-in-law, Loyal Davis, who's a neurosurgeon. I'm afraid for him, his health is failing. And Loyal Davis was uh, a known atheist at the time. I mean, Ronald Reagan knew that. And he believed there was more for him. And it's interesting, it's a four-page letter that he wrote, he wrote by hand. And this is what part of what it says. I'm just gonna read some of the excerpts. He says, dear Loyal, I hope you'll forgive me for this, but I've been wanting to write to you ever since we talked on the phone. I'm aware of the strain you're under and believe with all my heart that there's help for that. It was a miracle that a young man of 30 years without credentials as a scholar or a priest had more impact on the world than all the teachers, scientists, emperors, generals, and admirals who ever lived all put together. Either he was who he said he was or he was the greatest faker charlatan who ever lived. But would a liar faker suffer the death he did? Reagan then wrote out John 3.16 and he continued, we've been promised that all we have to do is ask God in Jesus' name to help when we have done all we can. When we've come to the end of our strength and abilities and, all we, and we'll have that help. We only have to trust and have faith in his infinite goodness and mercy. So he took time, President of the United States, to write a handwritten letter to his father-in-law as he nears death to make a plea for him to know 
love and life and light. And the other story, I'm gonna go to the other side of, of the aisle, is a story about President Carter. And this is one told directly by uh, Lou Palau. He says, he tells this story about how he went to a dinner in Colombia, in South America, and it was a prayer meeting. And to, maybe to the surprise of whoever, the president and his whole cabinet attended it. And so Palau got to speak to the president of Colombia at the time. And he says to him at that point, the president of Colombia said to him, you know, Palau, that president of yours, Jimmy Carter, is something else. The reason I'm here tonight is because of him. He goes on to, to say that when all these South American and Central American leaders came to Washington for some of the festivities around the Panama Canal and the handover and all of that, that they all met on a Friday and Carter invited them all to the White House the next day for a Bible study. And if you know his history, you know he did that kind of thing. He taught Sunday school all the way through his presidency. He invited them to come to the White House. And he says, he goes on, he says the president of Columbia said, you know, we don't really do these kinds of things, but when the president of the United States invites you to do it, you do it. It's kind of what he said. And he shows up, but he goes on to say, I was truly impressed that Carter cared that much for us. It isn't diplomatic to do this, but I realized that Carter really liked us and wanted us to know Jesus Christ. And he talked about the difference that it made. And Palau goes on in this article to talk about how a number of years later, he got to visit with President Carter and he told him the story about what the president of Columbia had said. And Carter said, oh, thank you for reminding me. I didn't know the effects of what I did that day. I was a little nervous about doing it. Thank you for telling me what happened in Columbia. You have these two presidents who took time to make a difference for the gospel, to share light and life and love. And some, you know, Carter did a whole lot of that. Reagan necessarily wasn't the hugest churchgoer, but even, but he was willing to speak out. And for us, I wonder as disciples, it's part of our call. I think the question is, are we gonna be listening to the spirit to do big things, small things, whatever it is. It may be a small thing, inviting a neighbor to partake of our Christmas services who you know is not in a church, or it may be something bigger where you sit down and share why you have hope in you, all kinds of things. Our call is to share light and life and love. And the Spirit will lead us and guide us in that. And I wonder, as a final thought, who is it today that you can some way say something encouraging to, small, that just points to love and to God? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you love us and you've called us on a journey as disciples, a lifelong journey. We pray that you would lead us by your spirit, that you would continually mold us into the people you want us to be, that we can be your ambassadors in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.